I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here and say it's pretty hard to be an agriculture producer if you're not willing to embrace your inner scientist. You could say the same thing for almost any job. But if you look at the definition of science, which, according to the internet, is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systemic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and the natural world through observation and experiment, doesn't that sound like three quarters of the definition of agriculture anyways? It's just missing the food, fiber, fuels, and medicine production part. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're taking a look under the hood of agricultural research. In December of 2021, I drove out to Olds to have a chat with Jason Bradley of Olds College. I wanted to talk to him about post-secondary institutions and regenerative agriculture. Jason also happens to be a participant in our regenerative agriculture lab, which is a social innovation lab made up of mainly agriculture producers and a few extension folks trying to figure out how we can accelerate the uptake of regenerative agriculture in Alberta, but do it in a way that regen egg doesn't get greenwashed in the process. That Regen Egg's potential to deliver a lot of positive outcomes for the environment, food, and people that this doesn't get pushed to the side or forgotten. Now, Rural Roots, it's that Alberta-based podcast that highlights the agricultural climate solutions that are good for farms and ranches, as well as the climate. So how come we're talking about Regen Egg so much? Well, the management practices that are employed in regenerative agriculture and in on-farm and on-ranch climate solutions, they're pretty much the exact same. For us at Rural Roots, Regenerative agriculture is most of the on-farm climate solutions that are out there. You could argue the only on-farm climate solutions that don't fall into regenerative agriculture are on-farm clean energy production and on-farm energy efficiency. But you know what? Perhaps even those two have a role in regenerating the land. Anyway, so I go to Olds College and I get to hang out with Jason in what used to be the college president's house. And now it's the Smart Agriculture Innovation Center. Very cool building, by the way. We had a really great discussion on agriculture research and regenerative agriculture in Alberta. Here are some of the highlights. But regenerative ag, it's not an orthodoxy or a dogma. It's not something that's like a certified practice. It's, it's a set of cultural management practices, and it's a change of mind and it's a change of heart around food production but what i do care about and the reason why we need it is we need to figure out better ways to to create growing systems that are additive versus extract but if we think about our, our you know the the universities is how do they then do the same thing where they're creating course content that helps students understand systems and the approach to an agronomic system based on biology how do you find the right places to hang out, to be encouraged and challenged by other like-minded and systematic thinking, critical thinking people? That's, that's where you'll probably find the most opportunity to build those collaborations. This is, a, this is another quote, like Don Campbell has said, if you want to make small changes, change the way you do things. If you want to make big changes, change the way you see things. So maybe just doing something, if I pull all these together, is like, well, maybe I need to just start thinking about things differently. 
If I were a betting man, I would put pretty good money on the fact that this isn't the first time I've said on the podcast that I've walked away from an interview, had so much great information afterwards, we decided to break the interview into two podcast episodes. And admittedly, I went to Olds mainly to talk to Jason about how agriculture research, primarily post-secondary research, could accelerate regenerative agriculture in Alberta. But what I found out by doing the interview was there was a lot that I didn't know about agriculture research in Alberta. I found it to be pretty fascinating stuff, so I didn't want to cut it out of this episode. So we're going to break it into two parts. So part one, what you're listening to right now, will be an intro to agriculture research and to Jason. And part two, we'll take that deep dive with Jason into regenerative agriculture. I do promise we'll release both episodes at the exact same time. Just in case you have a couple hours to kill this winter, then you can listen to the full interview and the full story in one sitting. By the way, the regenerative agriculture lab that Jason and others are a part of, they're looking for new participants come January of 2022. So if you're an agriculture producer, an academic or researcher, government official, egg extension staff, or you work for an inputs company, commodity group, even a food and beverage company, and there's just something about figuring out how to advance regenerative agriculture with its integrity intact in the province of Alberta, There's something about that that gives you goosebumps. You're definitely the Regen Ag Labs type of person. So please reach out to us. Go to the Rural Roots of Climate Solutions website for our contact details. So Jason Bradley, I live in the town of Olds, five houses down from campus. Which to me is really cool because our campus is on the edge of town and it's farmland and it's a small representation of that. So I live across the street. And what do I do? So I'm the manager of our Smart Ag Partnerships or Strategic Partnerships within the Olds College Smart Farm. So I really focus on the uh, relationships between our large corporate strategic partners with funding organizations provincial and federal, and also a lot of other like community relations. And wherever we see a partnership opportunity, I manage those relationships. I, uh, I prospect some of the new ones. And then I also work quite a bit with the companies that are approaching Smart Farm for their Smart Ag Applied Research projects. So if, if they're interested in, in doing a fee-for-service project or collaborating with us on a combined project, then I, I meet those companies up front do a bit of an analysis, vet them to see do they fit, and if so, where, and then I make the introduction into our applied research folks. So I have a lot of different connections there. And then lately, just with some staffing issues, I'm back working on the farm every now and then. So a day or two helped run the combine crew. Uh, One day back in September, we needed to gather cows for preg checking and run that whole day. So I got to be in the back of a horse and ran the preg checking crew and just wherever else I can fit on the farm and where is needed, which lets me get back to my roots. Yeah, I was going to say, how did it feel to be back in the saddle again, literally? Well, I hadn't slid my leg across a horse since I left the Red Deer River Ranch four years ago. So uh, it was it was one of my happiest work days this whole year. And people were giving me a hard time when that wasn't work. But actually, it is work. But it, it felt pretty good. I, I know you got a connection here at Olds, but before you got into this line of work, what's your connection to egg? So I'm going to go back... And it won't be long, but I want to go back a couple of generations. And I was thinking about this last week because I was asked a question like, in our work, who do we honor historically in what we do? Mm-hmm. And it goes back to my grandfather. So Hank Bradley worked for Calgary Power 
which became eventually um, Transalta. Back in the day, in the, I think it was late 30s, he started with Calgary Power. He would start in Calgary and they gave him three half-broke horses. And he would start from downtown Calgary and have to get across one of those horses and lead the other two and ford over the Bow River and start riding west. And he actually did maintenance and repair and just observing the, the uh, overhead power lines between Calgary and Horseshoe Falls, which is that they goes down west of Calgary. Okay. So he rode uh, along those power lines and he would stay with farms and ranches that he knew along the way because you couldn't stay at a hotel. And so he got the nickname, the cowboy lineman. So that's what that's, that goes way back in my family history. Um, and it's really an interesting reminder of me that nexus between agriculture and energy somewhere in my DNA is built this uh, affinity for agriculture, growing food, and especially around livestock and cattle grew up in an acreage, but I would always, always at the mixed farm next door. And in high school, I was working on farms and ranches and I, I started to rodeo. So I, I was a bull rider and a team roper, and it, I was involved with with livestock that way. But there was always this desire to have my own ranch. And so my wife and I were both working and saving up for that. And it seemed like it was the price of land was going faster than the rate that we could save up to because we didn't have a family, you know, um, opportunity in that. So, so then 10 years of my career, I worked at a high tech company. So Nortel Networks, which is no longer a company, but at one time was Canada's largest company at 25% of the share of the Toronto Stock Exchange. I worked at that company for 10 years. I was a senior manufacturing manager, a senior project manager doing new product introduction. Right when the internet was starting to become a thing and we were talking about things like computer telephony and we were talking about carrying around devices that you could make a phone call on and draw on and have as a computer. And people were like, yeah, that's a nice story if you're in the Jetsons. But th that was long enough ago already that it was not quite something. So then 10 years after being involved in high tech, some good family friends of ours told us they had bought this cattle ranch. And they, hey, you should come up and visit. Mm. And so my wife and I went out with our young kids to the Red Deer River Ranch, which is an hour west of Sundry, right on the edge of sort of deeded land. It borders the forest reserve. It all includes government and private lands of 50,000 acre, 350 head cow-calf operation. And I remember standing on top of the hill on Butcher Hill, looking down across Williams Creek and the Holland Creek and the Red Deer River and the foothills and Devil's Head Mountain and Limestone Mountain. And I just was like in awe. And I said to the owner, my friend, Don, I said, man, this like, there's got to be a way to make this place work the way that it could really work. And it had been there since 1890. Wow. And there'd been lots of different, you know, iterations. And then a year later, he said to me, uh, hey, when you said that a year ago, were you serious? And I was like, yeah, I think I was. So within a couple of weeks, basically, him and I came up with an agreement because they needed someone to take over as ranch manager. Okay, okay. Person that was there, just what the fit wasn't working anymore. And so I left Nortel before the dot-com bubble burst and before it imploded. I wasn't like I knew anything, but what I did know that this DNA part of me that wanted to be somehow involved in food production and especially in ranching, this was an opportunity for me to go and manage this outfit. Mm -hmm. So that's my long-winded story to my connection in agriculture. And then and then 19 years I spent there on the back of a horse a lot of the time and then learning from the inside out beef cattle production. From that, I ended up, an opportunity came up here at Olds College. Mm. As an instructor, they needed someone that was a subject matter expert for one course for one semester. And I'm like, man, I've always thought I should have gone to school to be a teacher. My wife's a teacher. Now my, our son's a teacher. Our daughter's a teacher. Okay. And 
I, I threw my name in the hat for this contract position and they asked me to come for this one semester. My story often is it like I've been around grizzly bears, cougars, wolves, wild horses, like bucked off, walked home in the middle of the night, like you name it, all that stuff. I've got a million stories to tell, pulled horses out of the river, out of an ice hole. The scariest thing that I ever did was stand at the front of a class in front of 25 students as the supposed subject matter expert, the sage on the stage, and have to, you know, lecture and then create content and, and deliver tests and whatnot. So super good learning opportunity for me. clearly have a fascination with food production, but you're a pretty capable guy. You can do a bunch of different things. So what is it about food production that's got such a hold of you? It's the land. Like, to be quite honest, like a, this, yeah. the, the easiest, shortest answer is because it's about the land for me. Yeah. And even back in Nortel, when I was like inside of this factory, no windows, like there's no ag production. But the idea of like taking care of creation and redeeming the land, mm-hmm. back then I looked at it as a, like a, with an environmental lens. So I was the president of the Environmental Concerns Group at Nortel, and we were doing a cardboard recycling. And all these things that the company was like, yeah, you go ahead and do that if you want. Just, you know, don't let it bother your work. I guess the reason why is because because I see the value of the land, and I see the value of the effort of leaving it better than I found it. And just honestly, like being outside where food is grown, whether right now we have a backyard garden, which is as big as my food production gets. I built my own dirt from scratch, so I'll tell that story someday. But being outside, watching cattle and grass and, and streams and rivers and all that interact and finding ways to do that better mm. within that nature-based system and knowing that there's a redemption quality to that, to the land, and then leaving it better than I found it, like that, I think, has a grip on me that m- maybe now in my midlife stage, I have a better idea of how to articulate that. Before mm. it was more intuitive, now it's quite a bit more well-defined and our family loves to eat and to create food. I'm the eater in our family, but my daughter and my wife and now our son are the ones that love to come up with new, so they'd be foodies, you'd probably call them. But, okay, okay. And so we just love the idea of that. So for me, it allows, you know, being in agriculture to connect all of that and to, um, to lead it better than I found it. Just kind of a brief overview, what is Olds College? So Olds College, it, it's an agricultural college. It's the easiest way to answer that question. How did it get started? So in 1913 was the, the, uh, the origin of the college, the start date. And it got started because the government of the day saw this huge influx of European immigrants coming, predominantly from different parts of Europe, with different growing conditions, different plant types, different practices than what exists here in this part of Alberta and realized that there needed to be a way to teach them, you know, agronomic principles and practices and theory on how to grow crops here in central Alberta, but then also needing to be able to have a place to demonstrate that. So Olds College has always been a demonstration farm, right? From, you know, 108 years ago, and it still is a demonstration farm, but that's where it came from. And that's what it is. So we have a, a significant focus now on, on smart ag, ag technology. We have programs in horticulture, veterinary medical assistant program, um, so animal health. So, but, but predominantly demonstration farm, 
which has now become the old college smart part. I think I think a lot of us, or a lot of us involved in agriculture in Alberta, have heard of the Smart Egg program, the Smart Egg Research. Mm-hmm. It might sound like a dumb question, but what exactly is Smart Egg Research? Yeah, that's a great question because there's no one answer. But for me, Smart Agriculture is about utilizing technology and innovation for food production on on the farm. So that can be things like soil sensors, plant sensors monitoring close to yield, using satellite imagery, um, different ways of connectivity. Mm. So like 5G now is becoming prevalent in cities. How do we scale that from an urban setting to a rural setting? It's really about data-driven decisions. So using those different technological tools to harvest data and for the data to inform decision-making so producers can approach a more sustainable agricultural production operation and they can do more with less right mm-hmm. so that it re- it really is about using that that data from devices and, and connecting that through a network and then visualizing that data mm-hmm. in some fashion and then having that inform the decision making of the farm to improve productivity and profitability and sustainability how is it different from i don't know, like the applied research where you I used to, for lack of a better way to put it, from the, you know, like the, the groups that are involved in Erica and stuff like that. Is there something that they, yeah differentiates it from that? Well, yeah. So a lot of it has to do with looking at different, like for instance, one of the projects, we have over 40 projects, smart egg projects. One of them is looking at um, an array of digital weather stations, right? Mm-hmm. So groups within Erica would look at applied research and they're doing like small scale, like plot research. Um, they might do some larger field scale comparisons or doing a project within a farmer ranch setting in an applied research perspective. Our smart egg research focuses typically on those technologies like the digital weather stationery, where we take five different types of digital weather stations and do it like an out-of-a-box experience. How well do they install? How well do they connect? Then we look at comparing the data from one to the other. And then we look at the data um, compared to other ground truth data. And then we say, well, how does that data then, how is it helping us to make decisions? Like, how does one of those that also maybe has a, a disease modeling algorithm that goes with it, how does it help us to make a decision to more accurately, more precisely, more timely treat something like a, a disease issue with the fungicide? Mm. So how does one compare to the other? Or how well does it provide the, that data and data-driven decision-making back to the producer? What's the, what's the value proposition of that technology to the producer? And what is it to maybe like one of our large partners is getting us to trial technologies and tell us, give, give them a basically a, almost like a consumer report, like mm-hmm. how well did it work? And how well could that fit within their business? Because they might want to either white label that product or acquire the company and build it into their platform. So that's the difference between what we would say conventional applied research and smart egg applied research is, you know, if we look through our project list, it has a lot to do with those digital technologies, with artificial intelligence, with imagery, data, data collection, data analysis, and looking at data in a multi-layer aspect so that all those layers of data that are coming from the projects Mm. can start to drive decision making. So that would be the difference between the conventional and smart egg applied research. You've uh, you've already mentioned a couple examples of what smart egg research looks like in action. Is there any other examples you could share? If I look through kind of our standard answer to that, we're looking at autonomous equipment, for instance. So in March of 2020, Old College purchased what at that time was the DOT power platform, which is now Omnipower. So it's a completely autonomous 
farming system. It's not a conventional looking tractor. Yeah. It's actually a, it's a, a U-shaped frame with 164 horsepower Cummins diesel engine on it that carries the implements on top of it. But it's completely autonomous. So mm-hmm. it runs using LiDAR, radar, and GPS in the field. You create a field boundary and a mission with a, with a mission routing or field routing um, prescription on it. And then it runs autonomously mm-hmm. for seeding, for spraying, um, and for spreading fertilizer. So we're looking at using drones and, or RPAS, sometimes they're referred to now. So that would be some of the applied research we're doing. But we're also now using, for instance, on the autonomous side, we're using the OmniPower platform for our production, for our cropping production. So we did 700 acres this year that we use Omni for, for seeding, for spring, and for fertilizer application. I think in total, we did 4,800 mission acres this year, which is like a supervised autonomy. So we have an operator there that, that supervises that from the edge of the field, but that's running on its own. We're looking at a lot of other different autonomous pieces of equipment. How do they mm-hmm. fit into farming? How do we prove that for, for the producers so that we can sort of learn what works and what doesn't and transfer that knowledge. We're doing um, a lot of work around sustainability, climate resiliency, some regenerative ag type projects as well, which I think we'll probably talk more about. So those are, the, so those are some of the other projects we're doing. On the livestock side of things, for instance, one of the companies we're working with is using computer vision and artificial intelligence for unique animal identification. So um, in a feedlot setting or even in a cow-calf setting where they can look up to 50 feet away, they can identify a cow uniquely, one from the other, but they can also now start to do things like do pre-symptomatic detection of illness or lameness mm-hmm. because it, it's, a, it's actually not just artificial intelligence. It's a bunch of artificial intelligence running in parallel that is overseen by a larger AI engine. And so it's able with that kind of computing power to be able to look at the gait of an animal and say, like, there's a lameness there that even a pen rider might not pick up in a feedlot. And then it sends a notification and then that animal can be treated sooner, which is a, you know, just wise animal husbandry. Even before it normally could be conventionally, it tends to be more efficient because that animal won't be off feed for as long. So it doesn't affect their gain. And it can reduce things like the amount of antibiotics and whatnot used for treating an animal. Um, It can be used for calving. So this system can actually detect parturition. So stage one of calving Mm. can detect it often before the trained eye can do that. So those are the kinds of things that we're experimenting with here in crops and livestock that are really driving efficiency, sustainability, productivity, and profitability. We're all running businesses here. And so we have to be driving in whatever we're doing towards profitability at the same time as we're looking at productivity and sustainability. Because I remember when I heard about smart A research, like the smart farm wasn't too far behind it. And to be honest, at first I thought they're just synonyms and I don't think that's exactly the case. So the smart farm is something separate from the smart egg innovation center that we're in right now? So smart farm is a farming entity. So it's a 2,800 acre mixed farm enterprise. So it runs as much as we possibly can, like any other mixed farm. The average farm in Canada is about 12, or in Alberta is about 1,200 acres. So we're we're up to 1,600 acres bigger than the average farm in Alberta. Mixed farm, huh. we're, we're about 800 acres bigger than the average mixed farm in Saskatchewan. But we run that as a fully commercial enterprise. So we're a 
canola wheat barley rotation on broad acres. We grow our own forage, both hay and silage for, for our beef side of things. Then we have a 150 head cow-calf operation. We have a purebred Red Angus program now that we've started. Mm. Uh, we have a 1,000 head feedlot. We have 140 ewes that we run in our lamb operation. And all those commodities are sold like any other conventional farm would either on a forward contract or at auction market. And the expectation of the farm is to run as a business. But so, so yes, so smart farm on its own is a leading edge farming operation using technology and, and those other types of technologies I talked about to run the farm, Mm -hmm. but it also provides a service. It's a customer service organization to our applied research program and to our, our uh, academic enterprise, so to students and instructors. So smart ag research is a component of our overall research because we have, we have about five different focuses of, of applied research. Smart ag research is one of those, and the smart ag applied research projects happen on the smart farm. Mm-hmm. And then the smart farm runs as its own farm. So there really isn't another instance of this magnitude and as advanced as we are that runs as a farm that we plug projects into. Now we sometimes make business decisions on the farm that you wouldn't make on another farm just because, for instance, this year we worked with our friends at um, AFSC to do a hail simulation. So we we built uh, a hail machine on the front of a tractor. It's a large pipe with chains on it that worked like a flail. Uh, and we flailed the crop for 10 acres. And then we did before and after and we used drone imagery. So we, you wouldn't do that on your... I don't your, know too many producers that would do something like that. <laughs> but we could do that because our, our partner paid for that project and we could undertake that. That might be a, also the, a good example of the smart ag research on smart farm. Like kind of how it was set up, you sort of mentioned it's almost like this could be the farmhouse of the future. Uh, maybe we can get dive into that. Yeah. Really, really quickly. So the Smart Egg Innovation Center is the farmhouse of the future. It exists in what previously was the president's house, which for decades was the residence of the president of Olds College and his family. But when I look around this Smart Egg Innovation Center, we call it the Sake. It's just it's a nice farmhouse, right? We're sitting in what used to be the one living room. There's a fireplace spot over in the corner. But we're in the UFA Innovation Lab. In the other main part, the rumpus room of what was the house before is the FCC Data Lab. And then in what was the master bedroom and the ensuite, we turned that into uh, the Trimble Ag Investment Lab. So when I was designing Smart Farm originally, first phase, like a minimum viable product of Smart Farm, we knew we needed a place for the staff, the smart egg staff to start hanging out, but a place that represented the farmhouse of the future. So then as I was able to sort of blue sky, the smart farm and the ecosystem, the house is part of that. Mm. And so I said, well, there's sort of three instances to farming operations and especially a smart farm. So innovation, investment, and data. And so that's what this house that we call the SAKE has become is representing those three things. And then we put technology in each one of these rooms that helps to advance the idea of innovation, helps advance the use of data, and helps advance the whole interaction between the investment community and the startups and the companies that are doing applied research on the farm. One of the things that we're really focused on within our smart farm applied research is there's kind of two aspects of this. So we want to be the place where we can try out these technologies, whether it's an applied research 
or if it's a commercially available technology where we can plug it into the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So we might not do an applied research project with a company, but we might create a partnership with them and they want to have their technology uh, as part of what's going on here on the smart farm. So we sort of literally plug in their technology as a commercially available product. And so we're building that capacity. Um, but from that, the, the results we get from our applied research projects, as much as we can share the results, sometimes anonymized data, as much as we can share like how well a technology worked, what's really important for us is to transfer that technology, the knowledge of that. So knowledge, technology, and transfer is especially the last year, we really focused on how do we get that information out to producers so that it's not just left here in a report or a research paper or just captured within the, you know, the, the brain trust of Olds College Smart Farm, but how do we do a way better job at making sure that that's accessible to producers and that we're helping them see, well, how does that work? How does it not work? Mm. How, what's the ROI on the OmniPower platform, right? On autonomous, like part of it's meant to address a labor shortage. Well, economically, does that really work? And so we're working really hard internally. And then some of our funding partners like RDAR, Results Driven Ag Research, they have a big focus on uh, knowledge, technology and transfer. So even the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you, this is part of our knowledge technology transfer platform. Mm. And I, I have all these, it's almost bad as a dad joke, but like my ranch sayings, right? So a horse is no good tied to the fence, right? And so our, the knowledge and the things we're finding out here, it's not any good if we just learn about that and it advances our knowledge within Old College Smart Farm. We have to figure out ways to get that to producers. So we're coming up with like two-day seminars on autonomous agriculture production and making that almost like a continuing education course, but a condensed two-day seminar. Right, right. And I know lots of our other sort of sister applied research folks do that as well, mm. but we just want to take that to the next level. And whether it's using like digital platforms or reporting or other means, like how do we get that out? Because most farmers really like it when they're the first to be second, right? <laughs> so when their neighbors and their family are trying things out and they figure out, oh, well, that didn't work or that did work. Yeah. That's who we want to be. So just the next question about the differences with egg research and like universities versus. Yeah. Egg. Is that, I don't know, was that a fair question? That's a super good question. Yeah. So like when we think of a U of A and their um, environmental science faculty or the U of C and what they're doing and, and those two universities, they also have farming and ranching operations as part of what they're doing. <laughs> But they're focused on foundational research, right? So this is early stage, like often lab scale, like often deep science, really important foundational types of research questions that they're looking at. Mm. And, then, and then developing the results around those from a foundational or pure research perspective, yeah. where applied research is much more about taking tech, and those would be very early stage technologies. So for the folks that are listening, there's this thing called the technology readiness level. So it goes from a one to a nine. Yeah. It was a system that came, that was devised by NASA to determine where their technologies are at. So big universities tend to look at early stage TRL technologies. So sort of one to four or five. And applied research tends to look at technologies that are either close to commercialization or are already commercialized, but they need validation at a field scale. Okay. And so we work really closely with industry because they're saying like, hey, we have this technology. Technically it works, but we need more third-party validation around the results of that. Mm -hmm. So that's the differentiation between like a U of L, U of A, U of C, and 
Olds College, Lakeland College, Lethbridge College, Grand Prairie Regional College, where we're doing that applied research. Since, I'd say, 2020, regenerative agriculture has become a thing in the sense that a lot more people outside of the regenerative agriculture community have either heard of it before mm-hmm. or so get a sense of what it could be. Uh, now, I would argue we, we don't quite have a consensus around a definition for regenerative agriculture. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Can you please define regenerative agriculture <laughs> for me? Huh. Uh, I'm going to start with what it's not. I highly recommend downloading and listening to part two of Egg Research right now to find out what Jason's thoughts are on how we can increase the adoption rate of regenerative agriculture in Alberta. Also to hear some of his thoughts on what regenerative agriculture actually is. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with Climate Solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and social innovation labs, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Brenda Barrett, Lance Tailfeathers, and Marta Svart. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based foundations. This episode was recorded in Calgary and in Olds, which means this episode was recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in Métis Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.